Okay, what's up, guys? You guys awake? Barely, kind of, sort of, maybe. I am too. I, I admit it's been a it's been a hard week. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, if you don't know, my name is Todd. Hi. Are y'all are y'all normally this quiet? I feel like some of you are, but some of you aren't. It's the ones who aren't normally this quiet that I'm worried about. The introverts, y'all just be you, okay? Um, okay, so I'm going to share a little bit tonight. My name's Todd. I'm from Dallas. Yeah, Dallas is really great. I miss Dallas. Thanks for cheering, Dallas. Any Cowboys fans? Okay. That's right. I don't know what we did with Des Bryant, but anyway. Sorry, American football references. I just alienated like half of you. I apologize. Um, okay, if you have your Bibles tonight, I'm just going to share a little bit from First John. We're going to look at First John chapter one. First Jam is what it sounded like. First John, First John chapter one. We're going to focus mostly on the second half of, of this short chapter, and then I'm going to share a little bit of my story, and then we're going to call it a night. But um, that's what we've got. So first John chapter one. Um, man, y'all are really quiet. I just stopped talking and like nothing, <laughs> nothing was going on. Didn't even hear anybody breathe. You guys are w- alive. <laughs> Sorry. I, again, I'm from Texas. I expect y'all to be a little bit more rowdy than this. Yeah. Um, my small group guys know. Um, I'm a little silly. I apologize in advance. Okay, so I'm just going to take it kind of verse by verse. Have you guys been enjoying the Bible study on the kingdom of God? Okay, another so-so, yeah, maybe kind of sometimes. That's okay, that's okay. I didn't write in any of them, so I don't mind. <laughs> if you have any complaints, take them up to JP. I, I'm just messing, I'm messing, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm a, I, when I stand here, I have to remember, some people take me seriously. Okay, First um, John chapter 1. Tonight, I want to talk to you, actually, about a rather heavy topic. I want to talk to you about the confession of sin. Yeah, everybody's like, okay, now it's going to get even quieter. <laughs> even quieter. I'm going to make myself even smaller. Confession of sin. I know it's kind of a, kind of a big topic, but it's a big part of my story, so that's why I'm going to talk about it. And um, something that I feel like I misunderstood for a really long time. And I hope to share how God changed my heart about it. So, John chapter 1, verse 1. Read along with me on your own, just in your head, not out loud, or else it's going to be weird, uh, as I read from the ESV. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, before I go on, that was kind of like the most epic run-on sentence, right? Like, congratulations, John, you failed English class. But you just did 
like what four verses in one sentence practically. So let's go back to the beginning though. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What is John talking about here? It's really easy. It's the Sunday school answer. Everybody knows it. Jesus. Yeah. Good job. There we are. Okay. We're alive. We're, we're kicking. Our brains are working. Okay. He's talking about Jesus. That's right. He's talking about Jesus. And he's talking about how Jesus transcends time, right? He's from the beginning. And yet John touched him with his own hands. That's kind of weird. Have you ever t- touched something eternal? I personally have not. Maybe you've touched an infinity stone. I haven't touched one of those either. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Another pop culture reference that I'm not very good at. But anyway, um, yeah, so he's talking about Jesus. And what is he saying, the message that he has? It's actually kind of weird. He's saying, this thing that I've touched is my message. The eternal, the eternal life is my message, which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Other translations say that your joy may be complete. Who wants complete joy? Yeah, I do. That sounds really good. I don't know what it is exactly, but complete joy sounds like the stuff, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, he's talking about Jesus. And he's talking about how Jesus was from the beginning the person that we were intended to fellowship with. Isn't that cool? That's pretty cool. I really like that. It's from the beginning that Jesus was the person. He, he, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, were the people that we were intended to fellowship with. You guys know Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created, and he creates all this stuff, and then he creates Adam and Eve. And what were they doing in the garden? They were chilling naked with God. I don't know about you. I don't chill naked with lots of people. Even Jim Javong is kind of weird still, right? Right? You like you go there and you're like, okay, okay, Korea. <laughs> okay, Korea, I see you. Yeah. See too much of you right now. That's what I see. <laughs> Sorry, I'm usually not like this. I, uh, actually, I am. I apologize. Okay. So, yeah, I see you. So, what is there, but you know, they're chilling naked with God. Why? Because there's nothing that separates them from fellowship with the Lord. It's a symbol of their intimacy. You're not, you're not naked with just anybody. Like, I don't just meet a stranger and like, hey, let's go get naked together. Like, at least I hope most people aren't like that, right? Like, you reserve your nakedness. You reserve your nakedness for certain people in your life, right? Certain intimate people. Hopefully your spouse, maybe when you were younger, your parents, probably at least when they when you were a baby. But yeah, nakedness is like incredibly vulnerable. It's incredibly intimate. And here we have a picture of God with his children in a very vulnerable, intimate spot. And uh, and John is saying now that Jesus is the one that we're supposed to be fellowshipping with. Okay, let's, let's just remember. I just want you to keep remembering fellowship, okay? Fellowship is important. Store that somewhere in the back of your brain. Okay, let's go to, on to verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so wait a second. John's talking about Jesus and how Jesus is, like, eternal. He's kind of like an infinity stone, but better. And from the beginning, he was the person... I sound really boomy. Sorry. Uh, he was the person we were supposed to be fellowshipping with, right? Remember the garden? He's, he's the one we're supposed to be intimate with, okay? And then John actually knows Jesus. He touches Jesus because he was one of the disciples, right? Now, this is important because what is John saying? He's saying that, hey, I'm not telling you a bunch of theological truths that I learned from somebody else. I'm not telling you what was passed down for generations from the rabbis, from what God did when our ancestors were around. I'm telling you what I physically experienced. That's important, okay? Because Jesus wasn't a spirit, He was a man. One of the early heresies the church had to fight against was that Jesus only was like a spirit body, and he like came as a spirit, he died as a spirit, and rose again as a spirit. He didn't do that. He came as a man, as a a baby, like all of us experienced. He died as a man, and he was raised to life again as a man. That's important because that's why John is saying, I touched him. I touched this eternal life. I touched this thing. It's like an infinity stone that can, has so much power and, and awesomeness. I touched it. That's so important because sometimes we can read the Bible and just think of Jesus as another character, like Harry Potter or, I don't know. I'm sorry, Harry Potter is a bad example. I didn't even read Harry Potter books. But um, what's another example? Okay, like uh, Gandalf. Did you guys like Tolkien? Okay, one person. Great. Okay. Anyways, think of your favorite Story. Okay, Narnia. Any Narnia fans? Yeah, there we go. More people. Okay, like Aslan. Like we think of Jesus just like Aslan, like a really awesome heroic character in a book, but something that's ultimately not real. Something that can teach me about truth, like a like a metaphor or a parable, but something that actually didn't happen. And here's John saying, "No, I was there. I witnessed it all. I touched this man who is eternal life, and I'm here to proclaim to you the truth that he told me." So we got a firsthand account. That's important. I, I, I tend to trust people when they've experienced something. And what is that message that he's proclaiming to us? That God is light. Notice that, not that God is good. Interesting. I don't know why he chose to say God is light instead of God is good or God is powerful or God is love. He says God is love later. Go read chapter 4 if you want to. But he says right here that God is light and in him there is no darkness. So what is one of the lasting impressions that John has from his time with Jesus? Jesus' purity. The the, the perfection of his heart. The purity of his motives. Come on, somebody. Like, I met a lot of people in life. I haven't met a lot of pure motives, though. Let's be real. Even our friends, even our parents, sometimes their motives are not so hot, right? But Jesus, he's this man that you can touch, you can... You can get a hug from, and in him there is no darkness. That's awesome. That's so cool. I love that about him. And that's important 
because of what he's about to say. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, so again, the purpose of what John is writing about is about fellowshipping with Jesus. And it says, he's saying, hey, if you are really fellowshipping with Jesus, you're going to start to look like him. The darkness in your life should start to dissipate because he's pure light. There's no darkness in him. He doesn't spread darkness. Okay, let's be real. Again, human beings that you've been around, like even good people, sometimes they spread darkness. Even well-intentioned people, people that have good motives, they want to help others. But in the end, they ultimately cause more harm than good. Did anybody? Okay, I'm sorry. Another pop, pop culture reference. Did anybody see um, Age of Ultron? Age of Ultron. Okay, sorry, more um, Avengers references. Age of Ultron. Anybody remember how Ultron was started? He was supposed to be good, right? He was supposed to help humanity, but he ends up trying to kill all of humanity and start over, okay? So what happened? Something that was had good intentions ultimately does evil. That's not God. There's nothing like that in God. There's nothing where God starts off good, but then it's kind of like, oh, good job, God. You tried. I know your heart there. I know you were trying to help us, but it just turned out really bad. But we experience this all the time in life. We experience this with friends. We experience this with family. We experience where people are trying to help us. They're trying to be good to us. But what they do is ultimately they fail us. They disappoint us. They're unfaithful towards us. And again, John is saying, hey, this man, Jesus, he's not like that. There's nothing in him that could ever beget, that could ever create evil, that could ever create harm, that could ever, um, yeah, be wrong. That's amazing. That's just so mind-blowing. If I just stop and think about that for a while, it's just mind-blowing. It's like, uh, it's hard to believe, to be honest, that a person, a man, could be like that. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, remember fellowship? Okay, notice how fellowship just kind of changed a little bit. In the first half of the the chapter, who were we we fellowshipping with? We were fellowshipping with Jesus and the Father, right? We're fellowshipping with God. But now what does he say in verse 7? You fellowship. We have fellowship with one another. Oh, snap. Okay, that just changed. Okay, John, did you, like, forget what you're talking about? You know, like, you kind of switched around, or maybe you're confused. No, I mean, I, I, I think that John did that intentionally. So let's keep reading. Let's see why, why he's now talking about fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay. I'm just going to let you kind of stew in that mystery for a little bit because it's fun to do it that way. And then um, I'll try to resolve it at the end. So verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, again, I want to talk to you tonight about confession of sin. You guys know what sin is, right? Everybody's heard of sin. It's kind of an, a, a Bible word. You, typically, we don't walk around saying like, you know, Riley sinned against me today. I can't believe Riley. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Not something we typically do. We might say like, Riley was messing with me today, or I can't believe what Riley did, but 
Sorry, Riley, I'm picking on you. But we don't usually say Riley sinned against me. That's like pretty intense. Um, okay, but again, go back to the Garden of Eden. God's chilling with his children. They have this intimate connection. Nothing separates his children from him. He walks with them through the garden. They're vulnerable. They're intimate with one another. And then sin enters the picture. What does sin do? What does sin produce? Lots of stuff, right? Okay, open-ended question. But one of the things that sin produces is separation. What's the first thing they have to do? Leave the garden. Get out. You're done. You can't be in here anymore. And what does that, what does that represent? That represents they lose felt that intimate fellowship with God. They're losing that kind of access to God himself. Did you notice that after that, they don't take walks with God after they leave the garden? God still speaks to them sometimes, and God is, of course, faithful, and he uses different people, prophets, um, leaders, etc. in the Old Testament. But walking with God, being naked with God, you don't see that anymore. So what does sin produce? It breaks fellowship. Sin breaks fellowship. It destroys fellowship. It destroys the intimate relationship that we have with God. So then how do we get rid of it? How do we get rid of this sin? Because if we're intended, our entire purpose, our plan in life is to have fellowship with Jesus. If he's the creator of all life, if he's the one who made me, who formed me, who called me, who has a destiny for me, if he's the one who is real life and there's no life apart from him, here's what he said about himself at least, how do I get back into that kind of access to God the Father? Now, those of you who grew up in church, you probably know the correct theological answer. The correct theological answer is, Jesus died for me, and so now I can be with him forever, right? And that's completely correct. But sometimes, again, we've heard that story, we heard, we've heard that answer so often that we're a little kind of numb to it. And I think what John is trying to do right here is he's saying, hey, I've, ta- I've touched this man. We couldn't go back to the garden. We couldn't go back into Eden and walk with God in the cool of the day. But you know what he did? He came and he walked with me. Isn't that crazy? I love that. We couldn't go back in there because of our sin. And so, and so we had to be separated. So what did God do? He came and walked with us. This is Emmaus, right? So you guys know the Emmaus story, Luke 24. Jesus is walking with his two guys on the road to Emmaus, and they don't even recognize him. That's, that's a really crazy thing. Like, God would just come and walk with these two men and, and patiently explain the scriptures to them until they finally realize, like, who he is. That shows so much about who he, how God works, what he's like, what his character is. Okay. But my topic today, sorry, I got kind of sidetracked. My topic today is confession of sin. And one of the ways we are restored with God is by confessing our sin. So, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. So we can't go into the garden, so Jesus shows up to walk with us and ultimately go to the cross and pay the, the price for our sins. That's why John can write that Jesus is faithful and just. Focus on that word just. Just. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm going to pick on you again, Riley, because I like you, and I know you can take it. Okay, so let's say that I do something really bad to Riley. Let's say, like, um, I steal 20 bucks from Riley. Low move, right? Like, he just, his wallet's out, and I'm like, oh, he's not going to miss this, and so I take it. Okay? And then Riley finds out. But Riley's a nice guy, and so he confronts me and says, Todd, I know what you did is wrong. It's wrong. Um, but because we're boys, I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay, now, was, what was Riley doing right there? Was Riley being just? No, he's not being just. If Riley wanted to be just, what would he do? He'd have to go to the like police and report me for theft and say, hey, you need to pay for this crime. At least pay me the 20 bucks back. That's what justice looks like. Justice is, is an atonement for, or not an atonement, sorry. It's a payment. It's a penalty for what you've done wrong. What Riley was doing is he was giving me mercy. He was giving me something that he was excusing that payment or punishment. He was saying, you don't have to do it. If you guys have been to a small group yet this week, we're learning about forgiveness, right? That was one of the things we learned about is uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? What does the, the master do? The master extends mercy. He doesn't make the, the servant repay. And then the servant turns around and and to another fellow servant says, hey, you got to pay me back everything that you owe and doesn't extend that same mercy to um, that he received. So uh, what I'm trying to say is Riley is being merciful to me, but he's not being just. But here, Paul, uh, not Paul, John is saying that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive. How is that possible? How is it possible for Jesus to be just in his forgiveness? Jesus can be merciful, obviously. Like, God can be merciful. He can say, hey, don't worry about it. I forgive it. You don't have to pay what you owe me. That's mercy. We know that God's merciful. But how can God be just in forgiving us? Because somebody else paid the price, right? I mean, this is gospel 101. This is what makes Jesus so amazing. Is he, he's not just giving us grace and mercy. Those are wonderful things in themselves. Those are wonderful gifts. He's actually saying, hey, I take it. It's mine. I'm paying it so that you can enjoy what I've always had, which is access to the Father, which is that intimate, vulnerable relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden. So let's go back to confession of sin. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if you say, hey, I'm good, I don't need, I don't need Jesus' blood, then sorry, that's not how you're going to get to the Father. But at the same time, remember that 
there's no darkness in God. When we think of confession of sin, what we typically think of is somebody like listening to all the bad things that we've done and then wanting to punish us, right? Or we want to, when we think of confession of sin, we think about how I'm going to say all the things that I'd rather nobody know about, and then they're going to think less of me. They're going to think that I'm ugly, that I'm disgusting, that I'm a horrible person, that I cannot change. Usually when we think of confession of sin, we think of those parts of our lives that even we would like to forget about and that we would, and we're really hoping that God can forget about. But what Paul, what, I'm sorry, St. Paul, what John is really trying to get is, hey, God's not like any of that. There's no darkness in him. You can confess your sins to him without the fear of penalty. I know I've been all over the place, but this is really what I'm trying to get across today. You can say what you've done wrong without him punishing you. That's so hard for us to believe because we live in a world that doesn't operate that way. We live in a world where if I say that I've done something wrong, my, immediately, my immediate expectation is that there's going to have to be some kind of punitive damage for that. This is why we have courts and judges, right? Is to, is to dish out that kind of judgment. But what John is saying is, hey, I've met this man. He's, he's real. He's, I walked with him. I touched him. He's alive. And what he did is he gave me that connection back to God the Father that we've always longed for since we've left the garden. And, um, and that's why we have confidence. That's why we shouldn't be afraid to confess our sins. Because we don't have to be afraid that God is going to be like all the humans in our lives, all the people in our lives that have thought less of us when they found out our sin. We don't have to worry about God holding our sin against us after he hears it. Man, that's a huge one. We don't have to worry about God thinking less of us, shaming us, trying to use our sin to control us. Man. Oh, that makes me angry when I see that in people. But it happens. We use people's secrets against them. It's called extortion, gossip, slander. Unfortunately, many of you probably have experienced that in life already. And I'm sorry, as the older person in the room, it doesn't get any easier. It still happens. So God is pure light. There is no darkness in him. That's why we can confess our sins and trust that he is faithful and just. He's just in forgiving our sins. We don't have to worry about making some legal argument in front of him even. In fact, if you really want to know, John goes on in chapter 2 to say, I'm writing that these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate, literally lawyer, and his name is Jesus, the righteous one. That's some really good news. I'm going to close with my the story that I promised you at the beginning. So I grew up in the church. Um, again, I'm from Dallas, so everybody in Dallas is pretty much Southern Baptist. Um, so I was Southern Baptist too. And that's not totally true, but there are a lot of Southern Baptists in, in, in the Dallas area. It's the Bible Belt. So I grew up in a very Christian environment. Um, I grew up going to church. I grew up going to Awanas. Anybody do Awanas? Yeah. Okay. At least two. Yay. Three. Yay. Okay. So Awanas is like this children's program in the States where they, they basically encourage you through bribery 
to memorize a lot of scripture. And so I would memorize like all these verses and get like candies and like plaques and badges. And it was like Boy Scouts for church, but not as cool because we didn't set anything on fire. So you just do lots of Bible memorization and get awards and stuff. So I did that. I was in the Bible drill. I just want you guys to know that you were looking at the state champion Bible driller. I know. It's my claim to fame, guys. Claim to fame. I'll be taking autographs later if you want one. But So I did it all. I was that kid who grew up in church. My dad was a deacon. My mom did the children's ministry. Um, and looking back on it, I can say it was wonderful. I'm so thankful for that. But at the same time, I sat in meeting after meeting, Sunday school after Sunday school, Bible study after Bible study, and somehow missed the gospel message. And so when I was 13, actually, I had a sexually traumatic experience where a man exposed himself and did some stuff in, in front of me that he shouldn't have. And when that happened, obviously, it was rather scarring. Um, but I was so afraid to tell even my parents that I hid it. I didn't tell anybody for 12 years. So you can imagine having an experience like that and not telling anybody for 12 years. That does a work on your insides. Because I, I knew that if I told somebody, they might have a reaction I couldn't control. They might be angry. They might think less of me. They might think that I was dirty because I felt dirty after that kind of experience. They might think that, um, yeah, they might think a whole slew of things that I didn't want them thinking. They might think that um, it was my fault. That was the one I was most afraid of, that somehow I had deserved that kind of experience or treatment from this man. So I had that experience when I was 13. I didn't tell anybody. Bad idea. Okay, just just get out there. It's a bad idea. But I didn't do that because I was afraid. And again, my righteous parents, like they're super godly fearing people, but I was afraid to tell them because I was afraid of what they were going to say. Because I knew the Bible. I knew what the Bible talked about concerning sexual sin. And I was like, man, if I tell my parents, they're never going to look at me the same. How could they ever love me the same if I told him. And so I hid it. But whenever you hide stuff like that, it eats you alive from the inside out. And so I, it started um, a long journey of where I was just really addicted. There's no better word to, to use other than addicted to, to lustful things. Pornography, masturbation, um, promiscuous, promiscuous sexual relationships. Again, but you know what I did with all those things? I hid them. I didn't tell anybody. 12 years. So I would go to church with my family on Sunday. i go to Bible you know, study, and I wouldn't tell anybody about it. And there wasn't a day that wouldn't go by that I, when I prayed, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think it was a legit prayer. I think I really didn't want to do it. But I couldn't stop. I was literally bound. When the Bible talks about being a slave to sin, I know exactly what it's talking about. I don't know if you you feel that way too, but I know, I know exactly that condition because I, I felt that way about myself for, for so long. And the thing that really changed everything was when I actually came through that door and I sat in that back seat where Joshua is eight years ago, almost to the month. It's kind of weird. Eight years ago, to make a long story very short, eight years ago, I came to an Emmaus meeting 
when I was actually a KLI student. I wasn't in college. I was already old. I was, old. I was always old for Emmaus for some reason. But I was a KLI student, and I came because I wanted to find Korean students who could speak some English because I wanted to improve my Korean. So I didn't come for very good motives, okay? But I thought this was a Korean student club that I can make friends. Because, again, I grew up in church, and I knew that they were nice people. They would probably be my friends, and I could learn some Korean. But then I found out there's a bunch of foreigners, a bunch of foreign exchange students. And I sat in the back, and I watched these people worship, and I was like, man, they are kind of weird. Why are they so into this? All my church experiences weren't that exciting. Nobody seemed to be that passionate about Jesus. So I just kind of watched these people. Like Now, Michelle was rather tame. To be honest, Michelle was rather tame compared to what I saw that night. I don't know if you ever know Haywan. She, she actually went back to the States now, uh, just last year. But Haywan um, was leading worship that night, and she would jump around and kind of dance while she sang. It was, it was great. But I was sitting in the back, and I was thinking, like, okay, this is weird. I don't know. I've never seen people like this. And then, I, then I noticed that everybody was speaking English extremely fluently, and I was like, "Oh crap! I don't think this is what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to make Korean friends to get better at Korean, and all they're doing is speaking English. This is not going to work." So I almost left. But that night, I heard a testimony by Pastor Caleb, who's now the campus pastor of Busan, and he he told his story. And his story is really wild too. He went on this like high speed chase with the cops. He was a meth dealer. He got deported from America because of his criminal charges. So I was like, man, he's bad. <laughs> he's really bad. If God can love him, there might be hope for me. So, um, but he said something, he said something in the sermon that really annoyed the Southern Baptist to me. And he said, God doesn't care about your sin as much as your heart. And the Southern Baptist to me really didn't like that. But um, it stuck with me to the point where eventually, a couple months later after that, um, I mustered the courage to confess all my sin to John Newfield. I was 25. From 13 to 25, 12 years, I hid so much sin from everybody. And you know what it did? It didn't only destroy my fellowship with God, it destroyed my fellowship with people. Remember that verse I read to you? where it says we have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light. Your sin doesn't just destroy your fellowship with the Lord. It destroys your, your ability to fellowship with other people. Yeah. So when after I confessed that sin to John Newfeld, it, like new, it was like a new me. I don't know how else to explain it. It wasn't like I had some trippy spiritual experience, okay, like the Holy Spirit did not come out of heaven and descend upon me like a dove, and I didn't hear a voice, nothing like that. I just told him, literally, I just started at the beginning, and I told him everything that I had ever done that I had never told anybody before. And at the end of it, John said, you know what? I'm so proud of you. I was like, no. What? You can't be proud of me? I just told you the most disgusting things about my life. How are you proud of me? But in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what... This is the gospel that I've heard my whole life, but I've never experienced, that I've never really known, which is that God doesn't hold your sins against you, that he's faithful and just to forgive. And I experienced that forgiveness through John Newfeld that night, and it changed my life. It changed my life forever. 
So tonight, we have five minutes. I'm sorry, I talked too long. Um, I'm just going to say a prayer because then we have to evacuate rather soon. Um, I felt the Lord, though, wanted me to share from this passage in, in my story because this weekend is the Freedom Retreat. I hope you guys are coming. If you're not, that's okay, but... Um, Yeah, I, I guess I just want, again, what I said after worship, which is there's nothing that hinders you. There's nothing above the earth or under the earth or on the earth that could ever keep you from the love of God. And the only thing that could be keeping you from it is you just not saying, hey, this is me. This is what I've done. I'm not proud of it, but I need to get it off my chest. Can I pray for you guys? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you really are that good. I thank you that we can trust your word. I thank you that we can trust in your faithfulness, that in you there is no darkness. There's nothing but pure light. God, I thank you that you've led each and every one of these students here tonight to hear from you and to be encountered by you. And God, I ask that um, as they mull the things over that they've heard tonight, whether that be just a passing thought or something that they go back and pray about on their own, God, I ask that you would be faithful to your word. I know that you'll be faithful to your word, actually. To forgive them of their sins. Yeah, and to cleanse them of all unrighteousness. So, Heavenly Father, I ask that just that cleansing water would come upon them even now. It's to remove the things in their heart that hinder them from fellowshipping with you and with one another. That they might experience this truly um, unconditional love in a new and radical way where they can say, like I could say, that it's like a new me. It's like a new day, a new start. So, Father, I ask for that courage to come over them, the courage to confess their sins to somebody they find trustworthy, yeah, that they might experience your love and grace in that way. I pray to the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen.